My name is Ben Kearns. I'm one of the pastors on staff. And um, for the bulk of my adult life and the bulk of my ministry career, I've been a youth pastor. I'm a youth pastor, love hanging out with students. And uh, my favorite thing to do for the longest time was to take kids snowboarding or skiing or whatever. And I loved it for a number of different reasons. One, I love snowboarding. Two, I found this loophole that if I went as a youth trip, the church would pay my way. And, um, and so I would go as often as possible. And, um, and this picture is actually 15 years ago, if you can believe it. That's me in the middle. And um, my friend uh, Bobby Vigoda on the right, Ryan Ward on the left. And I love taking um, kids snowboarding, but it turns out I'm not a good snowboarding teacher. And I was one of those guys where I would say, everyone, let's go. We'll get you all situated and you'll figure it out because how hard can it be? And uh, you take all these kids who have never been snowboarding before. You get them all situated. And then I'd be like, church, thanks for my ticket. I'm out of here. And I would hit the runs. And these poor kids would be on the top of the run like, what do I do? And, um, and you know, I would snowboard past them. I'm like, you're doing great. And then I would come back up on the lift and they'd be a little bit further down the, whole, down the hill. I'm like, oh, you're doing so great. And then sometimes I would be like a good youth, a really good youth pastor, I'd stop and go, you doing well? You doing okay? Try this or try that. And, um, and kids would mostly have an okay day and they liked being away from their parents and it mostly worked. But this kid, Ryan Ward, the kid on the left, he did something I've never seen before. Most kids, when they learn how to snowboard, um, you, you, you kind of learn how to ride these edges and you kind of like scissor down the, down the hill. But for Ryan, what he did is he pointed his board straight down the hill and then he would go until he would fall over. And so he started out, you know, being on the top of the bunny slope, and then he'd fall over. And then he'd make it two seconds, and then three seconds. And all day long, I'm snowboarding, and I'm having a great time, and I'm watching my youth group kids, you know, in different parts of the hill. Well, by the end of the day, he had gotten pretty good, and he could go straight down the hill, the whole hill, not turning, not being in control, but just pointing his snowboard straight down the hill and using his balance and his youthfulness and would just haul. Anyway, he starts going on bigger hills and uh, bigger, um, you know, more dangerous hills. I didn't think they were dangerous at the time, but it turned out it was because on this hill, this one day, he's like, Ben, go with me on this hill. So I'm like, I'll go snowboarding with you. And I couldn't even keep up with him. I get off the lift, he straps on his board and he goes straight down the hill, like straight, straight down. And I'm like, just snowboard and have a good time. I'm like, where did he go? And, uh, and he goes, and he's probably, I don't know, 200 yards in front of me. He is just hauling. Well, this little kid kind of skis out right in front of him. Now, poor Ryan, he doesn't know how to snowboard, really. He just knows how to point the board straight. But he didn't want to kill this poor little kid. And so he does, you know, he, he kind of does something to his body to get out of the way and ends up becoming this giant snowball. He just end over end over end over end over end and then didn't get up and didn't get up. And I snowboard over to him and his face is white and his lips are blue. And I'm like, oh, Ryan, are you okay? He's like... I don't think so. And I'm, this is, you know, I'm a young youth pastor. I don't know about church policy and insurance too well yet. And I haven't had, I'm like, what, what happens? He can't move. And, uh, and all of a sudden, thankfully, by God's grace, ski patrol comes rolling in and they wrap them all up and I have to call hospitals and parents and the whole deal. Well, end of what happened is he broke his leg. Uh, these two bones, I don't know the name of them, but he broke them right in half. And this is just from Google because they wouldn't share their x-ray with me. But this is what happened. Broke it right in half. Broke it right in half. And I felt bad, and they didn't sue us, and I got to keep my job. But the process for my buddy Ryan, for that kind of fracture to be put back together was incredible. 
right? He had to go to surgery. He needed pins. He needed screws. Um, they put this cast that went all the way up to his upper thigh. He couldn't move his leg. And, um, and he was a good sport about it. We all signed his cast. and We thought it was great. And, um, but what happened was for six weeks, he was in this one cast. And then for six weeks, he was in another cast. Well, by the time these 12 weeks were over, he had two different sized legs. He had athletic teenager leg and then skinny old man leg, you know, just wrinkled and tiny. And Bruce, you know what I'm saying, right? So just tiny and tiny. And it was, <laughs> I love you. So, and what was wild is all of this work had been done to heal the bone. In 12 weeks, his bodies and what the doctors did, they healed this bone. They healed his leg. It was healed. But anyone who's gone through a, a, a big trauma or a major surgery knows that that is only the beginning. Right? From that point on, his muscles have atrophied to a point that his leg was no longer useful in the same way he was used to it. And he walked around with a limp and he had to go to physical therapy. And for people who are older and more or wiser, they know that physical therapy matters. They know that sitting in their room all by themselves, doing the little exercises when no one's watching, it is totally not sexy, it is boring, and it doesn't seem like it works, but you as an older person know that that totally matters. For a young teenager, he's like, that's stupid. Why would I ever need to do this physical therapy? And so as a young, stupid teenager, he never did. And, right, and so now he's walking around like a limp for not just a month, not just two months, but for six months, for nine months, for almost two whole years until his limp was finally gone, until his body finally worked his way back. And, um, until, and, and what's wild is he was healed, but the physical therapy, the work that he had to do because he put it off, he, he didn't heal in the right way in the manner in which he was supposed to at the time that took him. Now, for Lent, we're going through um, this series called The Lord's Prayer. And the, ser- the part that we're going to look at today, forgive us our sins. This idea of forgiveness, this idea of asking God to forgive me personally, to forgive us corporately, and then the even harder part of then extending that forgiveness and grace to other people is the ultimate version of physical therapy. Physical therapy is taking something that's already been healed. You are healed. You are whole. Your bone has been put back together, but physical therapy is the process. It's the day in and day out little bit of work that has to happen, done in secret, that allows your body to get back to normal. And this rhythm, this discipline of asking God to forgive me for my sins, to forgive us corporately for our sins, to forgive others and extend that to others, that is the day in and the day out business that we have to do so that our soul can be whole and that we can be healthy and strong and be the people that God longs for us to be. He's already done the work. He's already healed us. He's already forgiven us. But this part of the Lord's Prayer is the part that we need to work in. So if you have a Bible, turn to Matthew 6, and we are going to work our way through the passage that that we've done so far. So Matthew chapter 6, beginning of verse 9, it says this. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And this morning, and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who have sinned against us. Forgive us our transgressions as we forgive those who have transgressed against us. 
And I'm not going to lie, when I first got this passage of scripture, I was exciting. Who doesn't want to preach on forgiveness? But then I read in the Bible, it said debts and debtors. And here we are at the end of church every Sunday saying transgressions and transgressors. And how in the world does that fit in? So are you excited for a little uh, Bible history? Yeah. yeah, Bible history! Woo! Okay, so the Bible, the New Testament was written in which language? Greek. Greek. Okay, so if you didn't know, that's okay. But if you don't, it was written in? Greek. Okay, so the original Bible written in Greek. We speak English. Okay. The Bible, um, one of the ways it was translated was um, translated into Latin, um, and it was called the Vulgate. And, um, but eventually, during the, the, the middle centuries, you know, the 12, 13, 14, 15s, right in there, people were trying to make the Bible more accessible to more people. And uh, so it went from Greek to Latin, and people who speak English were like, well, we want some of that too. And uh, there was this guy, um, not a guy, he was a man, um, John Wycliffe. And he took the Vulgate, the Latin translation, and he translated that into English in um, 1395. So in 1395, he makes, now the English people, English-speaking people, had the Bible. And when they went to the Lord's Prayer, they, tra- uh, they translated it, debts. Forgive us our debts. Okay? So we're so far so good. Well, in, uh, in 1517, um, there was a, a, another person named um, John, not William Tyndale. William Tyndale then did another translation. So he now translated, and he actually went back to the original Greek and translated the Bible. And when he did, he came, to, came time to the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6. And when he translated, it came to the same word. My Greek is really awful, so I, I had to write it down. I still won't pronounce it right. But it came across this word in Matthew 6. It's, it's a ophelimeta. Ophelimeta? I don't know. I don't even speak English well. But that's the word. It's a Greek word, and it means debt. He came across that word, and he had this decision to make. How am I going to translate that word? It says debt. Now, this is right during the Reformation. Um, just 10 years earlier, um, Martin Luther, right, put the 95 Thesis to, to talk about some of the abuses of the Catholic Church. And one of the main abuses uh, was, this, was the abuse of indulgences, where the church was selling basic, basically selling salvation. And money in the church got really, really squirrely. And so as an early reformer, he took this word, and that's translated, the actual word is debt, and he decided to use the word uh, transgressions. Now, he didn't just pick it out of thin air, because if you go through Matthew 6, at the end, that's forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Matthew 6, verse 14 says, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. That word for sin is the word for transgressors. And then in Luke, it's a whole different word. So there's all these different words and all these different range of meanings. Um, Tyndale picked transgressions as a way to help people understand this violation that we had against God and to separate from the, this abuse of money. And Bible translators have been doing that forever and ever. In Matthew 18, the, the, the parable of the merciful, unmerciful uh, servant, um, it talks about this, the, this person who owned his master, um, 10,000 talents. And the NIV, it says 10,000 bags of gold. And the New Living Translation says millions of dollars. So Bible translators are trying to help people understand the Word of God. And so he picked the word transgressions. And then in uh, 1611, the King James Version came around, they went back to debtors. But in that middle ground, there was this book, the Book of Common Prayer in 1549. It was this little tiny book, and it was the book that basically pastors and priests used to learn how to do church. And in there, the translation of the Lord's Prayer, transgressors and transgressions, 
got in there and priests and pastors from then on were trained in that liturgy and that's how it got down to us. And you think that's so weird to have a book of common prayer, but we have the exact same one. Art's uh, commissioning to us is a variation of a prayer that's in here except for the go kick tail. I think that's a, a different variation, but, but we have the same thing. This is our covenant book of common prayer that helps us covenant pastors know how to do communion and baptism and prayer and services. And that's what, that, that's what we have, and that's what they had. And th- so that's how it got down to when we say transgressions, we're not going, oh, it's a Catholic thing, or it's a bad interpretation thing, or what about, it's, it's this range of meaning, and we have chosen the word transgressions to help us as a body kind of be unified when we do the Lord's Prayer. All right, Bible lesson done. Was that okay? All right, you're like, what are you gonna say? Yeah, yeah I guess it's fine. Okay. But it is important to think about th- this idea that forgive us our transgressions. And this transgression, what it really is, it's this violation that, that there's this boundary, right? Don't, don't trespass. I mean, sorry, don't trespass, right? We set up a fence, and if you step over that fence, you're now trespassing. Well, when we trespass against God and we trespass against each other, we have this boundary, we have this space. And when someone comes in and violates that space, it crushes us. It crushes things. It ruins things. It ruins relationship. And so when we say, God, forgive us our trespasses, what we're saying is, God, you've set up these boundaries. You've set up these rules. You've set up this way in which you want us to interact with you and interact with the world. And we have just went over the fence, and we're like, we're having our own way, and we don't even know what we're doing, the kind of death and destruction that's happening, because we are just doing our own thing. And saying, forgive us our trespasses is us stepping back and going, oh, Yeah. There are these boundaries, there are these rules, there are these ways in which we live, and we have crossed over. Now, what's even more challenging is to say, forgive us our trespasses. And this idea of corporate confession, and we in the evangelical church, we hate corporate confession. I will deal with my sin, you deal with your sin. But there is a challenge, there is a discipline of saying, you know what, we have sinned. We, as a group of people, have sinned. And I love this picture of a, of a steamroller because this is really what it is. We, um, in culture and society, being a part of majority culture, we live in a certain way and we just steamroll over things. We have certain assumptions that we don't even realize we have and we just live in a certain way and we just crush people without even realizing it. So when people talk about power and privilege, and like, I don't have power and privilege or whatever, when people talk about that, what they're saying is you're in the top of your steamroller going from point A to point B having a great time. You don't even realize the little bugs and stones and things you're just decimating along the way because you're going from point A to point B because you have position and you have power. In the same way, the church, we have power. There was a, a moment where we in the church, had a, we were part of majority culture. We had a position and we had power and we lived in such a way in that, that we're like in the steamroller, like we're doing God's will. We're just like having a great time. And we didn't realize that we have just crushed and decimated people who, have, who are marginalized, who are poor, who are oppressed, who are part of different cultures and different ethnicities and different backgrounds. And we have just crushed them. And in fact, we have been in this steamroller for so long, having our great time just crushing people left and right, that the whole next generation, all these millennials are like, um, you and the steamroller are going that way, I don't want any part of that. And the millennial generation is leaving the church faster than we could even keep our eyes on because we are in the steamroller going one way, and they're like, if you're going to keep crushing the poor and the marginalized and those that don't have a voice and those who aren't being pr- uh, protected and, and the orphans and the widows, and you're going to be keeping hypocritical and judgmental, and you don't care because you're in your steamroller, then we want nothing to do with it. So when we say, God, forgive us our sins, it's an opportunity for us to go, oh, 
how are we being a steamroller? How are we crushing those who have no voice around us? How are we crushing those around us? And when we do, we stop and we ask for forgiveness. We get out of the steamroller and we step down to the ground and we look at the, we survey the, the, the area around us and we realize we have caused real death and real destruction and we have to humbly ask for forgiveness. And it is a discipline. I don't want to be responsible for what other people have done. I don't want to link arms with people who are jerks and who have done things that I, I would never do, but they are part of me. They're connected to me. And so we as a discipline have to do that to ask God to forgive us our trespasses. But I want to go back to this word debts, that we don't just forgive sins, I mean trespasses, we don't just forgive our sins, but we forgive our debts. And I love the word debt because really there's a cost. There is a true cost. Our trespass has a cost. It, 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 that violation actually matters. It costs something. When I was 16, I got a, a, a Volkswagen Bug. That was my first car, and it was incredible. And I could work on it. Um, I, I drove it into the ground. Um, I, I decimated the interior of it. I decimated the outside of it, but it, it still worked, and I could drive it, and I loved it. I was free, and I thought it was cool. Looking back on it, I'm like, that, I probably look like a, a toolbox in it, but I didn't care because a car to a 16-year-old is freedom, and it was awesome. Well, I went away to college, and my sister then got to use it. And, uh, and while I was away at college, she was driving this car, and, uh, and it turns out that over the course of a year, she didn't do one oil change in it. And it turns out cars need oil. And without an oil change, um, about springtime, my engine block cracked in half, and that was the end of my car. So my car, this thing, that was mine. There's this violation, and, uh, and so my sister wronged me right? She did this offense. She trespassed. She did this thing, and it wronged me. And I couldn't just go, yeah, it's okay. It was $1,000 to fix it. That violation, that, that offense had a real cost. It was a $1,000 cost. I'm a college kid. I don't have $1,000, right? And so to just go, ah, just get over it. It's no big deal. I, don't, I can't just get over it. right? That $1,000 has to be paid. Either my sister has to pay for it and fix it, or I have to forgive her that debt, which means I absorb that $1,000, I pay that $1,000, or I go without a car. And I, that's helpful to think, because I think when we think of forgiveness, up, oh, we're a little bit too far ahead. We're going to go back to the little heart thing. Um, when, we, when we get to, when, what happens is, when someone wrongs us, we think, oh, I'll just forgive them. I'll just try to forgive them. When people deeply hurt us, when people deeply wrong us, we go, oh, I'll, I'll just forgive them. Just get over it. And we need to realize that all of the offenses that people have done to us, small, huge, it is a cost to our souls. There is a true cost. And so to think, just get over it. Like, it's, you're basically putting this band-aid over a broken heart and going, just, you're going to be okay. Just keep faking it. You're going to be okay. Just keep forgiving them. Get over it. Get over it. Get over it. And I have found that it is so helpful to go, you know what? That violation, that cost, that, that trespass, is costly. That divorce, that betrayal, that abuse, that gossip, that whatever, those are just my things, whatever your things are. We all have these ways that we have been offended and affected. And for me to go, oh my goodness, that, that thing is a cost, and I can't just get over it. That debt has to be paid somehow, and right now, I don't have the resources for it. So if we want to be forgiving people, if we want to recognize that God forgives us and we want to forgive others, then we have to realize and we have to understand how forgiveness works. 
So how does forgiveness work? A trespass happens, which means there's this broken thing, and that means that broken thing has to be paid for. So a truly, a debt has to be paid. In Romans, it talks about, right, the wages of sin is death. Your sin, the, re, the, the sin that you do, the, the wage, the cost the, is death. That's what the result is of sin. But the free gift of God is salvation through Jesus Christ. John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. The very center of the Christian story, the very center of the Christian experience, the very center of the beginning point of wholeness, of healing, of transformation is Jesus Christ, is his death and resurrection. And the reason why that's so important is because in his death and in his resurrection, he paid the debt. All of our offenses, all of the wrong things that we have done individually, all of the wrong things that we have done corporately, there is a true cost. Jesus can't just get over it. We think, why can't God just get over sin? It's not a big deal. It is a true violation. It's a true cost. Just like you can't get over it when someone just hurts you and crushes you, you can't just get over it. God can't just overlook sin. He can't just get over it. A debt has to be paid. And Jesus' death on the cross was that debt. His, the, the, the kind of Christian language for that, right, is his atoning sacrifice. When he died, the wages of sin is death. He died, and in exchange of his death, we have life. It was prophesied all the way back in Isaiah. And in Isaiah chapter 53, it says this, Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we, he, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities, and the punishment that brought us peace was on him. And it is by his wounds we are healed. Healing doesn't just happen. Forgiveness doesn't just happen, right? There is true pain. There is true suffering. There is true transgressions. There is true inequities. And Jesus bore those things. He took up our pain. The suffering you feel and experience, he bore that suffering. He was pierced for your transgressions, for your willful and jerky and rebellious nature. He was pierced for that. And he was crushed for our iniquities, for the very deepest moral corruptness of who we are. He was crushed for that. And his punishment, that punishment that he, take, that he took, we now have peace. So if we want to understand how does forgiveness happen, God doesn't just get over it. The offenses that we do really matter and are really costly. And Jesus paid for that. And so as Christians, we come on Sundays and we remind ourselves every week that Jesus died for us and forgave us and has healed us. And we say, God, forgive me for my sins, for my transgressions. Forgive us for our sins and for our transgressions. We are humbly coming before Jesus, recognizing we have screwed up, recognizing we have broken this thing and we cannot fix it ourselves and that we need Jesus' love and grace and redemption, his atoning sacrifice. We need it. And so that's how God forgives us. But now the question is, how do we forgive others? God forgives us and then says, we now need to forgive others. And so I have been offended by somebody, and I, let's say someone's offended me $10,000 worth of offense, whatever that is, and I think, I only have $1,000 worth of offense in my, uh, in, my, in my wallet. I only have that much money. I'm at now $9,000 short. How do I lean in 
to forgiveness. And the way we lean into that is we need to understand that we have more access to wealth than we could ever understand. I love what Greg said when he commissioned our students. We all have wealth and we all have poverty. We're not talking about uh, money wealth. We're talking about spiritual wealth. We're talking about the kind of wealth that will allow us to forgive somebody else. My son's favorite book series is the Harry Potter series. And if you know anything about the story, right, there's Harry Potter. He was orphaned uh, because I get all the names wrong because I'm not a big Harry Potter fan. But it was like Voldemort killed his parents. and he's, So he's an orphan. He goes live with his aunt and uncle, and he lives underneath the stairs. He has no power. He has no privilege. He has no access to resources. And his aunt and uncle are total jerks to him forever and ever and ever. Well, um, at some age, what age is Harry Potter when he gets to go to school? Does anyone know? 11. All right. See, you're in there. Okay. So at 11... All of a sudden, uh, he gets a knock on the door and all these envelopes come in owls and a whole different thing. I kind of fall asleep in that part. But he gets to go to school and the big, the big ogre guy, his name is Hagrid, right? Hagrid goes to Harry Potter and says, listen, you get to go to Hogwarts. Come with me. And he takes him and, he, and then they go that weird alley. What was that weird alley named? Yeah, so he goes there. And, uh, and he has this list of all these things that he has to buy. And Harry Potter goes... I am poor. I'm an orphan. I have nothing. And I have to buy all these things. And Haggard, and Haggard goes, is his name Haggard? Yeah, whatever. He, that's, he goes, Harry Potter, you're not poor. And then he goes to this bank. You remember the bank's name? Yeah, he goes to this bank and all the weird trolls in the ears and stuff. And he goes to the bank and they go to the vault and he opens up this vault. And all of a sudden, Harry Potter, who was this orphan kid who with rags for clothes, who has no access, no power, no resources, all of a sudden has unlimited gold at his disposal. And he's so generous. And I, I didn't read the book, but on the, on the, in the movie, you know, he's sitting on there and he's eating junk food with the redheaded kid, um, Ron. And... Um, <laughs> And, and Ron doesn't have enough money to pay for stuff, but Harry also is like, here's some gold. I have so much gold, I don't even care. Just, they just buy the whole cart. They don't even care. Well, think about this. We have to forgive others. There's this huge debt that people owe us, and we don't have the resources for. But we have access to more than we ever could realize. In Romans chapter 8, Paul says it this way. For those of you who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you are like, so that you live in fear again, but rather the Spirit you have received brought you into the adoption of sonship or daughtership or being a very child of God. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father, Daddy. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And if we are God's children, then we are heirs. And if we are heirs, we are co-heirs with Christ. And we share in his sufferings and we'll share in his glory. We are co-heirs with Christ. We are not orphans. We have unlimited access to the spiritual blessings and power of God Most High. Jesus in this picture is our brother. We are co-heirs with him. Jesus had the fortitude and power to forgive us, to forgive the whole world. And we are part of his lineage now. We are co-heirs with him. And so when someone has wronged you and violated you, and you have, I have $1,000 in my wallet, but that violation was $10,000. That violation was $100,000. That violation was a million dollars, and I will never, ever be able to forgive them. You are totally right. You will never ever be able to forgive them. I can't even get my head around a million dollars, a thousand dollars chipping away. You'll never be able to get there. 
But like Harry Potter, we get to walk into this vault and say, you have unlimited access to these resources. And when we're connected to Jesus, when we humbly come before him and we allow him to change us and transform us and empower us, when we do that, we then get to have access to Jesus. And that power and those resources come to us and we can begin to chip away at the forgiveness debt that people owe towards us. And let's just be honest, the, those of us who have been wronged in the deepest of deep ways, to say, oh, I forgive them, is a joke and is not true and is not real. But let's do the spiritual work of moving towards forgiveness. And when we pray deliberately, forgive those who have sinned against me, we're inching closer. We're needing Jesus to empower us. We're moving closer and moving closer. And you know what? Maybe not today, and maybe not tomorrow, and maybe not this year, but for the people that I've known who have had the most horrific things, there is a time. 10 years, 15 years, it takes a long time, but they come to this place and they realize, I do forgive. I've built my spiritual bank enough to get there. So just one last thing I'd like to, to wrap up with before we almost wrap up our time here, and that's this, that we are to forgive as and we are forgiven as we forgive. It is this transition, this is, I mean, sorry, this is this transaction that we do. We don't just uh, soak up all of God's forgiveness, but we soak that up because we know we need it, and we soak it up so that we can be empowered to forgive other people. And we do it for this reason, that this is our version of spiritual physical therapy. If we are going to be the whole people that God has longed for us to be, we cannot wander around the world with a limp forever. We cannot do all the things that God has to do unless we do the daily, in and out, tiny little things of physical therapy that will change us and make us whole. We need physical therapy. The second is, if you, like me, are so tired of the church being accused of being judgmental and hypocritical, then we as a church need to corporately confess our sin. When we corporately confess our sin— and own how we have crushed others in other places that we may not even be aware of. When we get out of the steamroller and look to the ground and see where we have crushed others, we are not judgmental and hypocritical. We can be idiots and we can make mistakes. But we are people who are humble and asking for forgiveness. So it's an antidote to being judgmental and hypocritical. And lastly, being a Christian means that we are dependent upon Jesus. We move towards Christ. It is not this end game of... Stop sleeping with your girlfriend, stop drinking uh, booze too much, and stop cussing, and then you've arrived. No, that is not the end of Christianity. The end of Christianity is that daily, day in, day out, we are dependent upon the living God to mold us and to shape us and to use us, to be light in a world that is in desperate, desperate need. I want to invite you in to do a really quick prayer exercise, and in front of you is a little card, and I'd love for you to just take a moment and complete the sentence. Lord, please help me forgive this person their debt, just as you have forgiven mine. It's a very simple prayer. And sometimes you can just think, I'm going to forgive my daughter. I can forgive my daughter because I love her enough and I can forgive my daughter. Maybe you might want to take a step and there's someone who you think you have the guts to forgive, but it'll be a challenge, but you can put their name there. Or maybe there's someone who has offended you so deeply, you can't even imagine being in a place that you could actually forgive them. And my gentle nudge would be for you to put their name there. And the discipline of, Lord, please help me forgive this person their debt, just as you have forgiven mine. And I did this discipline. 
I put what that debt was, $10 million. I don't have $10 million. But it helped me to realize that there is a huge sum that I'm going to need to have the guts to forgive that person. And until I've tapped into the wealth of Jesus, I'm not going to be able to get there. And so I wrote that person's name. I wrote $10 million. And now as part of my prayer and part of my discipline, I get to keep seeking Jesus. And when I say, God, Lord, forgive me. I mean, as you have helped me forgive others, as you have forgiven me, when I pray that prayer, now I'm basically imagining myself walking into this vault and taking some more money and more wealth so that I can then chip away at this debt. So at some point, that debt will be clear.